Nisa Mulvinaka listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific Ngo Okoroi Hawkins. Coming up. In light of what's happening now in the region with China's growing influence, it's become crucial to have some form of arrangement. Papua New Guinea requests a security deal with Australia also. He did eventually get the chance to take part in the, the debate, but only for about 10 minutes. Samoa Supreme Court voids parliamentary suspension of opposition leader Tuilaipa Saidele Malelengoe and... At this stage, no one knows what will happen tomorrow. It is up to the court to decide. The challenge to the dissolution of Vanuatu's parliament is back in court. But before we get into all that, the new Newegg government has linked the current COVID-19 outbreak to a possible breach of border requirements on the island. There is one new case of the virus, taking the total number of active border link cases to 11. Lydia Lewis has the latest from the government. The Director General of Social Services and Health, Gayling Tasmania, says her team has evidence of an exemption granted on the basis of a fit-to-fly certificate, which is now in question. She says the documentation exempted the traveller from pre-departure testing. This in turn set off a series of events that exempted the traveller from in-country testing under the current protocols for historical or previously infected persons. Ms Tasmania says by Friday night, three different households had members that had tested positive. She says two of these households included recent travellers. Earlier this week, Papua New Guinea's new foreign minister, Justin Chichenko, revealed that he wants to see a security treaty negotiated with Australia and potentially New Zealand. Mr. Chichenko told the ABC he discussed the idea with Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong during her visit to Port Moresby this week and said both countries were keen to press ahead with negotiations. Don Wiseman asked our PNG correspondent Scott Wyde what was prompting this push. I think the government wants something on paper. I mean, we've, we've had security arrangements going back since 1975 and before that, leading towards independence. But I, I think in light of what's happening now in the region with China's growing influence in the Solomon Islands, especially and in the Pacific and on the other side, beyond the Indonesian borders, it's become crucial to have some form of arrangement with our oldest security partner, uh, Australia. From what has been discussed, more meet to the bones of an existing agreement that's already been there for, you know, more than 50 years. So the details of which haven't really come out, but judging from what Australia has done over the previous years, you know, supplying patrol boats, the latest patrol boats, supplying uh, training officer cadet uh, and increasing its support to the PNG Defence Force and police. This arrangement, I think Justin Tachenko is looking for something that is more solid, more predictable and something that encompasses whatever is happening in the region right now. And I guess the difference for this arrangement has been that it's become more crucial for Papua New Guinea to be seen as, you know, an equal partner in the defence arrangement between Papua New Guinea and Australia. What's the role of China in this? It's not a case of PNG playing Australia off against China, is it? It's a difficult question. 
person to answer very directly. I mean, we, we've got a situation that's in the Solomon Islands where the government obviously has shifted its leanings to more towards China. And with the recent barring of a U.S. vessel going into the Solomon Islands, that's raised alarm bells with a lot of people. If Solomon Islands is leaning towards this and if China's determination to increase its security investments in Papua New Guinea is also becoming more prominent, where do we stand as a country? And I guess many people within government and within decision-making circles feel more comfortable leaning towards an Australian formal arrangement with Australia than with China. Uh, and, and, you know, this is arguable. A few others will say, you know, China's more receptive towards the needs of Papua New Guinea and uh, all that. But in terms of a security arrangement, it has always been a, a case of Papua New Guinea being more comfortable with Australia in terms of its security. Now, that, that's not to say that Papua New Guinea hasn't had a long relationship with China. You know, China was the first established diplomatic relations with Papua New Guinea, the first actually outside of Australia in 1975, 1974, 1975. So China, both China and Australia have had this long relationship with Papua New Guinea. So China more on the economic side, Australia in terms of its security. Now throwing New Zealand into the mix, that, that's a whole different addition to it. New Zealand has also had a close relationship with Papua New Guinea. They were instrumental in forging the peace agreement on Bougainville. New Zealand also had its police officers, military personnel, small numbers of them in Bougainville during the years leading up to the final peace agreement. Parliament is now sitting again. We've got a cabinet, and this cabinet includes a, a number of novel ministries, the Minister of Coffee, the Minister of Palm Oil. Are these going to be significant roles, or is, is this just a label that's thrown out there? You know, the government's been battered on social media about these two new new ministries, and I think the, the, the wisdom in there, at least from what proponents of these two ministries are saying, is that oil palm is one of the biggest export commodities in Papua New Guinea. Coffee is the uh, one of the biggest uh, revenue earners in, in Papua New Guinea. Also, cocoa is the other biggest revenue earner in Papua New Guinea, except that it, it doesn't have a ministry now. And, 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 and people have been saying, you know, people within the coffee industry have been saying, look, give us more attention. Give us more attention and let's make coffee one of the biggest exports instead of just uh, exporting beans. Let, let's process the coffee here. And I think the government's leaning towards making coffee an industry of its own, a, a bigger, more prominent industry of its own, and, and moving towards capturing that consumer uh, aspect of the industry. Because right now it's all primary industry, producing the coffee, drying it, exporting, and, and the roasted beans come back later. But I guess that's the thrust of the creation of these two new ministries. I'm not too sure about oil palm because although it's the biggest big industry, it has contributed a lot in terms of infrastructure in oil palm provinces. The NGO sector is not really convinced that oil palm needs a new ministry because it's, as far as they're concerned, oil palm has been associated with land grabbing and various issues of displacement related to the displacement of people, especially in the, in the West New Britain province and in East New Britain province. So that that sector is not really convinced about the creation of the oil palm ministry. The other ministries that I should mention here is a combination of ministries uh, put together under one umbrella. The immigration and labor labor departments have been put under one ministry, immigration and labor, and that's to make the processing of work permits and regulations, the management of regulations easier. Internal security 
is the ministries of correctional service and police have been combined into one ministry, and that's the internal security ministry. And trade and investment instead of trade and commerce uh, or commerce on its own, we've put, put it under one ministry, trade and investment. These ministries and the, and the names and the makeup of it keep changing every five years when a new government comes in. But I guess the immigration and labor, that combination makes sense. Internal security, that combination also makes sense. A lot of people not too sure about oil, palm and coffee. On Tuesday this week, the Samoa Supreme Court declared void a parliamentary suspension of opposition leader Tuilaipa Sailele Maliat Lingaoi and the secretary of his HRPP party, Lea Lai Lepule Rimoni Ayapi. The pair were suspended after a contempt of parliament complaint was lodged by the Deputy Prime Minister Tuala Tevanga Yosefo Ponifacio in relation to things said about the Legislative Assembly and the new fast government during the constitutional crisis that followed the country's last election. Joining me to unpack the legal aspects of the case is Auckland University law lecturer Fuimauno Dylan Asafo. Talofalava Dylan and welcome back on Pacific Waves. This is quite a complicated issue, so let's start with the original suspension from Parliament. Can you please explain to us what happened there? So basically on the 24th of May, the fast-led Parliament passed a motion to suspend the leader of HRPP opposition party, Tuila Epa, and also the HRPP secretary, Liaile Pule, for contempt of Parliament. The motion came after the Deputy Prime Minister of the Fast Party made a complaint against Tula Epa and Liaile um, Pule um, for them uh, alleging um, contempt of Parliament, basically for the statements that they had made in the media um, against not only the judiciary, but also the Fast-led government, calling them an unconstitutional government and accusing the Fast Party for colluding with the judiciary. Um, So the complaint from the Deputy Prime Minister said that they had denigrated and insulted Parliament, that they had undermined the rule of law, that they had brought shame and embarrassment on the institution of Parliament, uh, which reflected negatively on the honour and dignity of all members of Parliament. So the Deputy Deputy Prime Minister um, of FAST makes this complaint, and then um, the Speaker of the House appoints a Privileges and Ethics Committee, which is basically an investigative committee made made up of MPs from both parties, and they investigate the complaint that he made. And the committee makes a number of recommendations, basically that the two HRPP members did commit contempt of parliament, Um, and that they should both be suspended without pay until such a time. So there was this motion to suspend them, but oddly enough, it didn't specify when when the suspension will end. It just said until such a time, but did not say um, when this time would be. Um, It's important to note that before Parliament passed that motion on the 24th of May, that Tule Ipa um, had been trying to get Parliament to meet later on to debate the motion and to um, passed the vote, um, passed that motion um, because he was in isolation at the time and he wanted the opportunity to challenge the committee's findings and their proposed penalty. Um, he did eventually get the chance to take part in the, the debate, but only for about 10 minutes. And his request for more time and to delay the debate until um, he had had enough time to prepare his uh, arguments um, had been um, dismissed. Um, by Parliament, um, particularly the Speaker. Um, So that was one of the key issues of the case, which was whether the motion to suspend 
um, Parliament to suspend um, the two HRPP members from Parliament was lawful and in line with the Constitution. And so, right. what, I, might, what... I might just jump in there and just say so. Um, the case you're referring to is um, I'm assuming the case that um, Tulipa uh, and the HRPP party have brought to challenge Parliament, um, ruling for which we've just had a judgment. Is that right? Yes. Um, so it's important to note that what was being complained about by the Deputy Prime Minister for contempt of Parliament is different from the um, proceedings by the Supreme Court regarding contempt of court. So we had those proceedings earlier on in the year um, that um, were for contempt of court, basically that um, the statements by Tula Epa and other members of the HRPP party um, had brought the court into contempt and that they had scandalized the court um, unnecessarily and excessively. Um, and so the court did decide, the Supreme Court did decide that they were guilty of contempt of court, but quite interestingly said that they're not going to apply um, or pursue any penalties um, because um, in their view, it was important for everyone to move on for the best uh, for the betterment of the country, um, in light of the issue, in light of the issues that Samoa was facing with COVID nineteen and climate change, um, and so they respected the wishes of um, Fast at the time to not pursue penalties regarding contempt of court. But what the deputy prime minister was complaining about was contempt of parliament. So it's similar, but it's regarding um, how the statements denigrated and insulted parliament, not the court. Um, and so that's what was in dispute here, and that's what led to the suspension um, from Parliament. Now, you've seen the the judgment um, of the court uh, on the appeal uh, to this. What what has, if you can break down that judgment for us, and what what's being ruled? Mm. Um, so there are many um, interesting legal issues that arise, but the key one that the court um, found with regard to um, the um, challenge by the HRPP um, who are trying to say that their suspension was void, um, was that the motion to suspend them was unlawful and unconstitutional, um, specifically contrary to the rights of Article um, 9.1 of the Constitution, which provides the right for a fair trial. Um, and so the court was very clear saying that the right to a fair trial doesn't just um, protect people um, who are facing um, charges um, or convictions for crime. Um, it also applies to the parliament context when people are facing complaints and possible suspensions that there should be uh, the opportunity for people facing complaints and potential suspension to be heard. And so on the facts and looking at what had, what had happened, they acknowledged that Tula Ipa did get 10 minutes um, within that debate before the motion was passed for um, him to be suspended, but they said that this was inadequate, that the Speaker of the House, uh, Speaker of Parliament um, from the Fast Party had unnecessarily dismissed um, the requests by Tula Epa to delay um, the debate another week until he had come officially out of isolation. Um, and so they said that he should have been given more time to consider the committee's findings and then prepare arguments, um, and that 10 minutes simply wasn't enough. Um, so therefore, that motion to suspend them is void and unlawful. Now, what does that mean going forward now? So we're still um, yet to see um, a specific response from Parliament yet. 
But basically what the court said is that now it's up to Parliament, now that that motion to suspend has been um, declared void, it's still up to Parliament to um, determine what the appropriate penalty will be. So it's referring it back to Parliament because it's acknowledging that this is something for Parliament to decide in terms of how to move forward. But it said that the way that you did things in terms of suspending them and not giving them enough time to um, prepare their own defences or their own arguments in response to the committee's findings, um, that was unlawful. So now you need to kind of go back and figure out how you can move forward um, in a fair and transparent way that gives Tuila Epa um, enough time um, to respond to those findings. Preparations are underway for a hearing in the Supreme Court of Vanuatu following an application against the dissolution of Vanuatu's parliament. It was submitted by 27 former opposition MPs who were signatories to a motion of no confidence in caretaker Prime Minister Bob Lofman last month. Assistant Deputy Private Secretary to Vanuatu's Head of State, lawyer Wilson Thomas, will be in court tomorrow for the proceedings. He spoke with our reporter, Lydia Lewis. Another round of political jousting is about to take place in Vanuatu. At this stage, no one knows what will happen tomorrow. It is up to the court to decide. The submissions hearing has been set down for Friday, 9am local time. This is where the opposition's lawyer will present the case. And after the opposition's lawyer, then there is, will be the attorney general, who, will, who is representing the president of the Vanuatu and also the government of Vanuatu. So and after that, the judge will give a decision immediately or he will attorney it until Monday or Tuesday next week. Wilson Thomas says only two lawyers are to speak in this hearing. I do not believe that there will be immediate decisions because this is a case where it is involved the public interest. And uh, the presiding judge of the mother is the chief justice of the Republic of Vanuatu. And I believe that he will uh, give his decision sometimes on Monday or Tuesday next week. Meanwhile, Vanuatu correspondent Hilaire Bule says the 27 former opposition MPs aim to prove there was no proper process involved in the dissolution of Parliament. If they win, he says it would mean Parliament will resume and the motion of no confidence in the Prime Minister will be debated. But first, a recap of what has been a complicated month in Vanuatu politics, Bule says. The parliament has already uh, has already dissolved. But before the dissolution of the parliament, the, the 27 members of the of the parliament deposited a motion of no confidence against Prime Minister Bosloman to, uh, to remove him as a as a prime minister. But there was no quorum of uh, 33, and parliament was adjourned for another three days. But when the parliament was adjourned, the uh, Council of Ministers met and advised the president to dissolve the parliament. And then the president dissolved the parliament for following the advice of the Council of Ministers. Hilaire Boule says parliament was dissolved on the 18th of August. He says the 30-day mark since the dissolution is fast approaching in two weeks. And under the constitution of Vanuatu, a snap election must take place between 30 and 60 days following the dissolution of parliament. If the 27 signatories of the motion of no confidence win, it means parliament will resume and the motion of no confidence will be debated. It also means Vanuatu will still have its government until the 2024 elections. 
But if government win the test, it means that uh, we will have a, a slap election, definitely. But if the opposition uh, wins, it is a, a different story. Nakbaklevu, that brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Mode Mada.